What's up, Slick Talkers? I want to promote a quick little thing that we're doing at Good Morning Hospitality called Good Morning Retreats. This is our first ever retreat, and we are hosting a hospitality training retreat at the Horst Schultz Hospitality Training School in Auburn, Alabama. Now, this is going to be July 8th through the 10th, and it's for operators only. So if you're a property manager and you want to actually dive into the inner workings of providing hospitality and not just the operations of your business, then this is what you need to do and sign up for. So go to goodmorningretreats.com in order to get into an intimate setting with other operators just like you. If you go to the website, you'll see the published agenda and other things around the whole retreat. We're excited to host you. And if you're going to the retreat already and you've already confirmed your spot, we can't wait to show you what we have up our sleeves for this event. Now, let's move on to the episode. Thanks for tuning in. And like always, I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. What I found interesting about our industry is that no one ever talked about how bad it is, how hard it is, how high the failure rate is. Every time I ever talked to anyone else in the industry and I asked them how they were doing, they were like, great. And then like the next week they would go out of business. And like, why wasn't there a conversation had? Why wasn't there like this open transparency where we could talk about how difficult it is? I've been in the industry more than 20 years and I spent most of my time in this industry believing that I was the only one struggling. Because you talk to people and like, maybe you had like a difficult month. You know, you just didn't make any money this month. I would talk to my neighbors and be like, how's it going? I'm like, oh my God, it's the best month we've ever had. And so they, there, wasn't, there wasn't the truth or the transparency needed for us to, to transcend the difficulties in this, in this industry. And so I thought to myself, how cool would it be to have those conversations with people? And like with people that you know, people like Adam Perry Lang and Chef Andrew Zimmern, you know, like get big people on and not talk about the successes, but talk about how the resilience required and the difficulties and the lessons learned. That way we can learn from each other's mistakes. Because I, I think that's, that's a huge part of, of growing as an individual, as, a, as an entrepreneur, and, and as an industry. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform. This episode is brought to you by tipsy.com. So make sure that you guys go check out Tipsy. They're an online learning platform for all hospitality members. If you are a coffee maker, a restaurateur, a server, a bartender, a front desk agent, a revenue geek, marketer, social media expert, you name it, they are the ones to go to. It is free until September 30th for their COVID-19 plan to promote this just awesome platform that they have. So go ahead and check them out, tipsy.com. It's T-Y-S-P-Y.com. He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. I get to introduce an amazing guest. If you guys have been following the show, you would have heard his name once, maybe twice. Um, So Josh Copel the restaurateur who innovated and became the, the I wouldn't call it hacker, but the coder for the company called Flow. And just an amazing dude, been a great friend throughout the year of knowing each other. He is back on the show. It's rare when I do 
guests that have been on the show and bring them back. Um, I had a couple series where I've done a couple episodes with multiple guests, but to have one come back after a year of not being on the show is pretty awesome. So Josh, how you been, my friend? I've been good, man. Trying to weather this pandemic just like everybody else. Everything good on the side of restaurants? Like, let's let's dive into, you know, the last year uh, when you were on. Absolutely. You just ended, yeah, you, you, you know, you introduced flow and what you were doing with that. And now I guess a lot of things have changed, obviously, with COVID-19. And so let's kind of dive in. What, what's going on? What's the update? Let's do it. So when we spoke last, I own three hospitality locations right? I own the bar in Hollywood, 504. I own South City Fried Chicken, which was our fast casual concept. And then I own Pru and Proper, which was Michelin rated fine dining. Um, and the fourth quarter of last year, uh, I ended up selling two of the three concepts. So I sold the fast casual concept. It just wasn't a good fit for me. Um, and it wasn't a good fit for uh, the community. You know, I think that it is, it is wonderful to get on these podcasts and talk about our successes. Um, but I would say that was an abject failure in the way that we weren't able to execute at the level we needed to. It was too difficult to transition from fine dining to fast casual with, with you know, our vision for what it would look like. Uh, and so we ended up uh, selling the, uh, the leasehold and the concept to someone else. Wow. And then uh, the bar in Hollywood, after 10 years, uh, we ended up selling it for a profit, which was amazing. Uh, why did we sell that? I have a two-year-old at home. What business do I have in a bar at three o'clock in the morning? <laughs> that's that's a good point. <laughs> Didn't think about that. So that's actually pretty cool that you were able to do that. Um, that was yeah. pre-COVID, correct? That was. Uh, and so rolling into COVID, I only had uh, two companies, right? I had Pru and Proper, which is the Michelin-rated fine dining restaurant in downtown Los Angeles. And I had Flow, which is the restaurant services business, which is a uh, all-in-one communications tool for restaurants. We handle uh, talk, text, and online chat uh, for busy restaurants. And then when COVID hit, obviously, both businesses took a dump, an epic, epic dump. Um, with uh, with Pru and Proper, I closed. I closed uh, the second week of March. Uh, it was before we were mandated to close. I just didn't. I just didn't feel comfortable. Like as, as a human being, I didn't feel like I was safe. I didn't feel like I could keep my people safe, and I didn't feel like I could keep the patrons safe. There was a, there was this tension in the air that I was that, that made me really uncomfortable. So uh, I made the decision to shut down, letting the staff know that I, I didn't know when we were going to reopen. Uh, a few days later. Uh, the state ended up shutting down everyone uh, for dining anyway. And I didn't have the strong desire to pivot. I know a lot of people did, but you know, for me, cash is king. And I just wanted to make sure that I didn't spend all of our available resources trying to figure it out. With Flow, we had a bunch of clients on. We turned to the clients and said, listen, this isn't about money. This is about service. This is about family. This is about the industry. So we'll continue to service your accounts for as long as you're open at no cost. And so we, uh, we did that for months until eventually everybody ended up uh, shutting down and going into like, like a hibernation phase. And now we're in the midst of uh, opening everything back up. Okay, so Pru and Proper and Flow are slowly graduating into opening? Flow is. 
Okay. Not pro and proper. So okay. we have 6,000 square feet spread across two stories. So not only are we renegotiating our lease with our landlord, uh, but we're also in a place where I don't feel comfortable with opening until I see someone doing something that is actually making money. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have the desire to work for free. I don't have the desire to pay to work for free. Um, and I want to make sure that whatever concept we come up with is a sustainable model. And so pro and proper is on pause until somebody figures it out. And then I'll just do what they do. Yeah. Um, with flow, we actually ended up getting PPP money, which put me in an amazing mm -hmm. position. So I, what I did was I used that PPP money to, uh, to create a promotion. Uh, we had just enough money uh, to put 60 restaurants on the platform for 60 days at no, no cost with no strings attached. The idea being that you know, using this money, we're able to employ all of these reservationists and what an amazing opportunity it is to service the industry at the same time. So uh, it's called the 60 for 60. And, uh, all right. It, uh, it launched last week and we're really excited about it. That's awesome. And so I know another pivot you did during this time. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the works of. Um, explain your concept of full comp. So awesome. for, for all the listeners uh, listening now, Full Comp is Josh's podcast. He was on my podcast. When this all happened, he reached out and was like, look, I want to start my own. How do I do this? And we talked about it. And now Full Comp is in full-blown uh, success. And is I'm seeing so much content coming out of it. So explain that to listeners. What What is it? What do you do? Hello. What do you talk about? Thank you for the softball, bro. I appreciate it. Um, so the idea was this. When the restaurant shut down, I obviously had a lot of time on my hands. And, uh, and, and I, I've worked to plant seeds. You and I have talked about that a lot in the past over the last year. And one of the seeds that I planted was this relationship with Yelp that I, I had worked with the people over there. I knew they had access to great data. I knew they had this huge platform. And so I was always looking for ways to work with them. And they reached out and they said, hey, you know, we want to help the industry out. We want to contribute to the industry in a meaningful way. Do you have any ideas? And I did. I had the idea for a podcast that was different from anything I had heard before. What I found interesting about our industry is that no one ever talked about how bad it is, how hard it is, how high the failure rate is. Every time I ever talked to anyone else in the industry and I asked them how they were doing, they were like, great. And then like the next week they would go out of business. And like, why wasn't there a conversation had? Why wasn't there like this open transparency where we could talk about how difficult it is? I've been in the industry more than 20 years and I spent most of my time in this industry believing that I was the only one struggling. Because you talk to people and like, maybe you had like a difficult month. You know, you just didn't make any money this month. I would talk to my neighbors and be like, how's it going? And like, oh my God, it's the best month we've ever had. And so they, there, wasn't, there wasn't the truth or the transparency needed for us to, to transcend the difficulties in this, in this industry. And so I thought to myself, how cool would it be to have those conversations with people? And like with people that you know, people like Adam Perry Lang and Chef Andrew Zimmern, you know, like get big people on and not talk about the successes, but talk about how the resilience required and the difficulties and the lessons learned. That way we can learn from each other's mistakes. Because I, I think that's, that's a huge part 
of growing as an individual, as, a, as an entrepreneur, and, and as an industry. And so I wanted it to be a platform that, while everyone else was talking about the EIDL and the PPP and suing your landlord and all of that, I wanted to have a conversation where we reimagined what the industry looked like. And so that is, that is what Full Comp is. It, it, it is hopefully you know, world-class insights from thought leaders within the industry and outside the industry on the house. On the house. I love it. Well, <laughs> so that is such like, so what I really like about it is because it's pretty similar to slick talk in the sense of in the beginning, there wasn't something out there that was sounding the way slick talk sounds or full comp sounds. There wasn't something that was, there wasn't different. There was a lot of podcasts that sound the same. Obviously I have a couple of favorites that I do listen to um, within the industry you know, regarding just keep up to date and learning other strategies and what, you know, what's going on, you know, just keep up the speed. But there wasn't something, like you said, talking about the realness of failure, hard work, the numbers that don't add up, the conversation that needs to be had, but it doesn't happen. So you've asked me this when I was on your show, not too long ago, when we were recording, um, you talked about mentorship. And I, and I, have my own opinion pretty similar to yours about it. You know, we, I feel like I'm being mentored every week. Uh, in one week of recording an episode, I'm getting 20 years, 30 years of experience from my guests. Um, do you feel that with your show, Full Comp, that you're being mentored in a sense, but also um, finding out that many other people like your, your guests on the show are feeling the same way, like the conversation hasn't been open or transparent in a lot of sense, um, and why do you think that is? Oh, yeah. So full comp is a selfish endeavor. Like, <laughs> I did it. I did it for me. I did it. I did it so that I could learn. And then, you know, the, the conversation is recorded so other people can, you know, go through that educational process with me. You know, in having a podcast, in having a platform, and, and, and Yelp so kindly giving me like these huge lines of distribution. I've been able to talk to, you know, mentors, people whose books I've read and, and you know, those books have changed my life. And, and there've been so many opportunities to learn within that. You know, I, I'll also say that, that one of my secrets to success within this industry has always been looking outside of the industry, seeing myself as an entrepreneur first, a business person first, and a restaurateur second. That's why I can interview guys like David Meltzer, who is, you know, like the, this iconic marketing guru in, in the sports realm and say, what, what lessons are there that I can then turn around and apply to the hospitality industry? Because as, as long as you're in the, you know, the direct to consumer arena, everyone's trying to, to pull the heartstrings of the same people. Everybody's trying to inspire loyalty and get the attention of the general public. So however they're doing it, there might be lessons for me to translate that into my own life. And that's why, you know, I, I've reached out far and wide, trying to not just talk to the chefs and the restaurateurs and the leading managers and the master marketers within the industry to look outside of it and say, hey, you know, like I interviewed Gino Wickman recently. Uh, the episode actually launches tomorrow. And the guy is brilliant. He's just a brilliant entrepreneur and a brilliant coach. And the, the big takeaway from the, uh, 
the interview was this. He said, you know, I, I think about life in, in 10-year blocks. And in thinking of it in 10-year blocks and setting goals, this is what I want to accomplish over the next 10 years. Things like the pandemic matter a lot less on, on a professional level because he's got 10 years to fix it. It all falls within this 10-year plan. He was building for the three years prior. This is going to last a year to two years, maybe three. And then he's got three to four years to fix it. And I was like, oh my God. Like I had just never thought in those terms. Because then the follow-up question he had for me, Will, was he said, how much, you know, how old are you? And I said, 40. And he goes, so you have four to five blocks left. What are you going to do in each one of those blocks? To which I responded, I had no idea. But that's, it, it, it inspired a, a whole new thought process that I'm not only going to apply to my restaurant and my restaurant services business, but also to my life. So, so mentorship is, is huge because you and I as podcast hosts can use this as an opportunity um, to, to evolve as individuals uh, and as business people and, and share those lessons with other people. I 100% agree. Yeah, it's it's uh, one of the best. I would say the pandemic was one of the best worst things that could happen in one in one sense for business entrepreneur podcast life. Two, your mentorship. Like I never looked at it that way, and I probably should have. But I was more just so excited every time I'm learning something that I wasn't thinking I was being taught something. It was just like this is so cool. I can run with this, and so like just and then now having that conversation with you was like holy crap, like this is mentorship. This is uh, ongoing learning in a sense that I never predicted like I would actually achieve through the podcast. So my question for you, like follow-up question with, uh, with that is, so you said you wanted to talk about the conversation of, you know, the struggle, the, the profitability, you know, not making money versus making money, the struggle of like, are we going to continue to stay open? Why are businesses going out of business? when they say that they're doing great and had like the best month that they've ever had all year. Um, have you learned any insights on why that is? Is it solely the fact that people are just not being transparent and are scared to admit it? Or is there something actually behind that conversation that's not happening? It's a, it's culture. It's a, it's a, we are in the midst of, of an epic cultural shift within the industry. Shift to transparency. Mm. Most of the restaurants out there have a week's worth of cash in the bank, two weeks worth of cash in the bank. So as long as cash is coming in, you don't know whether they have, you know, millions in the bank or 50 bucks in the bank. Foundationally, there, there were issues within this industry that everybody suffered from, myself included, that we just didn't talk about. And had we talked about it, maybe things would have changed. Ideas like, uh, you know, wage disparity and, and the fact that, that as owners, as operators, you feel like you were indoctrinated into a gratuity system that you don't necessarily agree with. Like as an owner, as an operator, you want the dishwasher to be in the tip pool as much as the server, right? Because more work should translate to more money. If it does for some members of the staff, it should translate for all members of the staff. But we didn't do anything about it, even though we knew it was unfair, because we were afraid our whole front of house team would quit, or we were afraid that you know they, there would be an uprising and we would we would 
lose our business or the quality of service would, would suffer. All of these different things. You look at pricing. What, how do restaurants choose pricing? It's not a mathematical equation. They say, how much are people willing to pay for this steak? How much are people willing to pay for this baked potato? And then they charge the maximum on that. They don't charge what it's worth, they charge what people are willing to pay. Right? Let's also say that this is an industry where on the restaurant side, not necessarily the hotel side, but you can work in this industry for 30 years without ever getting a 401k, a retirement program, without ever getting subsidized health care. Like these are, these are real issues. These are concerns that, that we should all be worried about as an industry. And we should see these as ills that need to be solved. But that's not what happens, right? Everybody talks about how well things are going. So there's never, there's never that opportunity. The big aha moment that I got through the podcast and that I think everybody's realizing now is that the secret sauce in this industry isn't brilliance. It's not this innate intelligence. Uh, it's not even savvy. It's resilience. And that's what you're saying. And that's what I think will help us pivot and help us get through this. I couldn't agree. And, or I couldn't agree more. Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't agree. Um, <laughs> I couldn't agree more um, just because, you know, I don't think people understand the, well, obviously industry people do, I think in a, in a sense, but um, the profitability margins aren't like superb. And, like you said, in order to provide those things like healthcare and 401k, it's going to take a lot more, a lot more profitability for that restaurant or for the hotel or for whatever. That's been like the one thing I've noticed like through my career is just like, there's never, I'm young, I'm healthy. I have, you know, a good health in general. So I've never really like worried about not having healthcare, but as I'm getting older, yeah, I'm only 25, but I still am like, okay, my knees hurt. Why is my knee hurt? Okay, should I have? To, I should watch this. Like certain things happen, and you're like, well, not having a healthcare that could sustain it. I don't know. It's just it makes you think for sure. And then so with that coming to the podcast, um, and just the overall growth, the big thing for me that we've been having conversations with with other guests in you know the vacation rental and the hotel space is that um, a lot of what why like big companies um within three weeks of COVID 19 happening went out of business companies that raised millions if not billions in funding and all this other stuff uh go go out within three weeks and so it go it kind of opens up our eyes and we've been talking about profitability and sustainability what does that look like who's going to come out on top the people that are getting all these series you know b c d e funding or the ones that are actually growing slowly other than those funding people and managing their profitability making sure their margins are right and how do we you know start that conversation and communicate that in the industry to be a thing to talk about it's okay to talk about your profitability margins like it's okay to talk about revenue i think sometimes we get so off like oh uh uh yeah we're doing good we don't want to say anything to do with numbers because we feel like we're well most folks don't know how well they're doing yeah exactly most, most folks have no idea you know they look at the numbers that they're taking in from let's say third-party delivery they're not pulling out the commissions they're just saying oh well, you know we did three thousand dollars today well you didn't 
because like right off the top, yeah, you're like 25%. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's nobody's, nobody's doing the math. One of the things that, that I, I, I truly believe is, is that you have to be an optimist to be an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but to be a restaurateur, to be in the hospitality industry, you have to have a level of optimism that borders on insanity. And, and that, that doesn't pair real well with finances. That doesn't pair real well with numbers. And so we look at top line sales instead of looking at net sales. You know, we look at gross profit instead of net profit. And when we look at a bank account that's almost empty, we say, oh, well, you know, we can take in the deposit from this party a little early. We can pay these people a little late. It's because we, we so, so desperately want it to work. When you know, the solution after talking to dozens of people is really simple. You just charge what you need to charge to make the money you need to make to have the business that you want to have. And either people will pay that or they won't. But, but to do anything other than that is to fight the inevitable which is without a solid foundation, right? Which is a solid profit margin. You're never gonna make it. Maybe, maybe you can fake it for five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years, but it's never going to last. And it's always gonna be harder than it needs to be unless you're charging what you need to charge. And I truly believe uh, that people will adjust. They'll get used well, to paying more. Why is that such a hard thing to understand? Like for me, that makes sense. That's what we do with our business here. Like we make sure this is how much it costs. This is how much we need to make in order to not only pay ourselves and cover our costs, but actually have a profit. So why has that been such a hard concept within the hospitality realm itself? Like why is just settling for cash flow instead of profitability? Fear. People are scared. I'm going to raise my prices. People are going to hate me and I'm going to go out of business. And that's not a, that's, that's not a, maybe that'll happen possibly potentially that could really happen. You could raise your prices by 20 or 30%, fix your margins. And people could be like, Oh, you know, that steak was worth $40, but it's not worth 60. You know? And, and so you, a lot, there will be, I was actually just talking uh, with the Dean of Cornell university about this, the school of hospitality, because they're doing a lot of research into this. And the word that we used was bloodletting. There will be a lot of bloodletting if this is where we go. Um, but we all have to do it together. We all have to ch- charge what we need to charge to make the money that we need to make. Otherwise, you're gonna end up with, with this artificially pumped up system. You know, a great example would be, you know, the chilies and the Applebee's of the world where, you know, you can walk in and get 40 appetizers for like $3.99. It, it's, and what it does is, is it skews and, and you know, they're working on economies of scale. So they're probably making a little bit of money doing that, but you can't do that as an independent restaurant owner. Mm-hmm. You know, the deals that the large hotel, hotel, hotel chains give, you know, as an independent hotelier, you can't do that. You can't meet that because they're willing to have, have lost leaders. Whereas an independent restaurant, the lost leaders are going to drive you out of business. And, and so it, it, it is that fear of going out of business. It is that fear of failure that I think that we collectively have to get over and just say, if we are able to establish enough value, there's no way that people won't pay for it. And that's really, that's really the take home there, man. That was the reason that I pivoted from pro and proper 
into flow. It was answering the question, how can I create more value? And then from flow to the full comp podcast, I'm unemployed. I'm literally on unemployment. I'm 40. I have a wife and a two-year-old daughter. And instead of saying, how can I bring in money? I thought to myself, how can I be of service? Which is how most of us got into this industry to begin with. Yeah. And in and, and having that intention, how can I be of greatest service? You know, the podcast was born. I love it. I love that so much. Um, see, for me, I was going to ask just with, I don't know, because I've been on this big kick of, destination air and like destinations and experiences and creating something out of nothing and the 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 magic and the skill of first impressions and experience right and you just kind of touched on this a little bit um do you think this is just kind of like free ball question but if you're like let's say the restaurant raises their prices 30 percent crazy amount like a steak a filet mignon little tiny steak becomes 80 bucks or whatever. Do you think, and this is all also variable on location and everything else, but if the experience itself inside that restaurant is so magical and so creative and so unique that people are still going to be willing to just let that slide, that price? Or do you think it depends no? on how it tastes? <laughs> <laughs> it's more than the experience. It's everything, right? Yeah, right. So it, it's ultimately, it's going to be you know, I, I, I can look at the reviews of Prue and Proper, and I knew I was doing a great job. And I'll tell you why. The reviews were always either this is the best place I've ever been to. Oh, my God, it's amazing. You have to try this. Or it was, I don't get it. I don't like it. It's too expensive. Not for me. And, you know, what we don't do is, is restaurateurs or, or as hospitality professionals or something I did poorly and I see a lot of is you don't choose your market, right? We're trying to get everybody into the restaurant. And Prue and Proper was something that wasn't built for everybody. Mm -hmm. It was built for a specific clientele. It was built for people that are enthusiastic about American food and wanted to see it done in like an elevated, interesting way. Mm -hmm. And either that was going to work or it wasn't. You know, the question that I'm asking myself as a restaurateur now to dig in specifically to your question is, will people pay for that $80 steak? And if so, in, in, in under what conditions? You know, if my server has a hazmat suit on, it doesn't matter if there's a candle on the table, right? There's no way, there's not enough lipstick in the world that we could put it on that pig and people are, are gonna be fooled. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out what the new market values. What are they looking for? I think we can both agree that people want to get out. They want to start going to restaurants. Yeah. They want to start staying in hotels. You know, but what, is that, what does that look like? And I think it starts with safety and security. I was just going to say. For sure. But yeah. man, that comes with an associated cost. Yeah. So the reason that that steak went from $40 to $80 is because of like, you know, the, the PPE that everyone has to wear because there's an associated cost with that. You know, you had soap in the bathroom and now you have soap and hand sanitizer. There's an associated cost with that. Now, the, I, I think the bigger question is how, how broad can we speak about experience? Like for a restaurant specifically, 
uh, is part of that experience dining in, but then is part of that experience being able to pick up a farmer's market box every week that has fresh vegetables in it? Is it, is it about, uh, you know, creating these personalized meal kits that then they can log onto your website and watch tutorials from your chef and kitchen team and exactly how to prepare this food. It, it is, the experience is going to change. The experience is going to evolve. And I think that what it does is it gives restaurateurs and hoteliers a chance to offer a new experience. When I interviewed the uh, the, the chairman of uh, Louis Vuitton for the, uh, or the former chairman of Louis Vuitton for the show, I had her on because I think that, that branding and experience are, are essential to like that LVMH experience. And so I wanted to know, why Louis Vuitton was special in my own mind, why Dom Perignon is so special in my mind. You know, and what she talked about was is that 50% of the value of any experience comes from both the anticipation of that experience and, and in, in the reflections after. How did they feel upon leaving about that experience? And that's what creates that net overall experience and feeling in someone's mind. And so is that positive? Is that negative? We're going to have to work harder as restaurateurs and as, as hoteliers to start that experience before they ever step foot in the restaurant or hotel. That is, that is exactly where it starts. So when we talk about destination air or, or, or whatever it is, it, it is important that that starts with the website and it starts with a phone call. That's why flow is so important. You know, not to just sit here and pitch my own stuff, but like, you know, I, I am a huge advocate of doing amazing things on the telephone. One, because I have that business, but like you could do it too. You don't have to hire my people to answer your phones. You can answer your own phones, but when you do, you need to be undistracted. You need to be attentive. You need to have all of the answers at your fingertips and you need to do two things. You need to be reassuring right? It's going to be great. We're not going to kill your 90 year old grandmother when she comes to the restaurant. Trust. And then the other half of that is you got to prime them to have a good time. Have you ever been here before? You have to try this dish. People love it. Oh my God, it's your birthday. You know, we always do this thing for birthdays. So I'll notate it and make sure that it happens for you. Like there, these are the elements that happen before they ever dine that, that are going to keep people dining, that are going to keep people traveling and going out to hotels. You know, the one thing that Airbnb did really right, or that certain people within the company did really right, is they created these micro experiences that, that transcended the actual bed you sleep in and the room that you stay in. And, and everyone's gonna have to hit that level moving forward because one, people have less money, two, People are fearful. So if they're going out, there's going to be an apprehension that you're going to need to overcome. And three, because people are willing to do stuff at home now. And so you've got to give them a real reason to get out of the house. Dude, you just pumped me up so much. Oh, this is so good. I know. I love this because you're hitting everything on the head. And this is actually a nice I'm so glad you said all this because I've actually been wanting to ask you this question for a while. I haven't reached out on text or like phone to ask you because I think this is going to be a perfect moment. So, you know, I've been designing the destination air model, like the mindset, the overall industry mm -hmm. concept. So the definition of a destination air is a person or people that are wired to create remarkable experiences that are anticipated 
and shared. So when I'm designed, I've been designing this whole thing and creating like an award and all this other stuff to go behind it. And uh, I was so set like, oh, this is like for hotels, vacation rental. And then I started thinking about, I was like, well, the podcast is restaurant, hotel, hospitality, vacation rental. Like there's all these tiers. I was like, well, restaurateurs are destination airs in a way too, because you guys are people, the, the real ones like brew and pop, you know, brew and proper. Uh, I'll just give you a little, uh, but, um, uh, but you know, you're design, you're a person that's designed to do that. Like just as shows and how you pivoted with the podcast full comp. So yeah, I just, I love the, what, what you said too, because if you look at Disney, I think about Disney all the time when because they have their people called Imagineers. They're Imagineers, not Destinationaires, but in the same concept, right? There are people that go above and beyond to create this anticipation, um, this feeling. Uh, when they first came out with the bracelet bands and everything, they created them. They realized that people did not like having to like go onto their phone and do this extra stuff to get their their money onto that that band. Well they poured another $150 million into the project to make sure that there was no other like loop or hoop to jump through in order to get that experience just right. So I'm glad you said that because in the end of the day with COVID-19 being the worst, but yet best thing I think could happen because that barrier to entry into the industry of just like, Oh, I'll just throw my spare bedroom with an air mattress on Airbnb or I'll just get this, you know, excuse my language, shitty Motel 6 uh, with, you know, some new linens and call it good, a restaurant that is serving, you know, deep fried food that hasn't been cleaned in three weeks and uh, we'll call it good. That barrier to entry no longer or shouldn't, and I don't think will exist. That barrier to entry of excellent standards, excellent hospitality, true destination airs that are wanting to create and, you know, experiences that are anticipated is going to be the new level that's going to be the basic requirement um and i think you hit it on the head and so that's what i'm so glad you said that and uh well we struggle with that you know it's not 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 to divide the industry but yeah, yeah. you know as a restaurant you know as a hotelier you know when people travel to somewhere else they need somewhere to sleep you know and, and they need somewhere to eat and they have all of these different choices but like at pro and proper most of our market was local like hyper local you know and so I'm not competing with other restaurants. I'm competing with other restaurants and your ability to make food at home. Mm -hmm. So we've always been focused on anticipation. We've always been focused on how can we convince people to leave their house on a Wednesday, on a Tuesday, you know? And, and so it's, I've always had that thought process. And I, I think a lot of folks in the industry have, how do you create that? And I, and I think that through your project, you're going to create a, a clear path, you know, through example into how to do that, which is super exciting. Yeah. I'll have you guys be the first one to be the first restaurant tour <laughs> to be on there. <laughs> Love it. No, but honestly, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. I think this is a, a good eye opener, a good conversation to have. Um, I always like to do this and you know this from your first time being on the show. Um, any shout outs, shameless shout outs, shameless plugs. Um, obviously I'm going to link everything, you know, flow, proven proper and full comp in the podcast show notes. But just to give you that time um, to, to just give final thoughts. 
I love you for it. Um, joshkopel.com, J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Uh, that's where you can find out about all the stuff I'm working on. Uh, I strongly recommend you check out the podcast. And the only reason being is because even though I am an incredibly mediocre host, the guests are fabulous. Um, and, and they brought so much, so much to my life. I would love for people to take the opportunity to check that out. Also, since it's a shameless plug, big shout out to Yelp for helping me put all of this together. Amen. Yeah, no, I, I highly recommend all my listeners check out the show. Um, just because I've been listening, not because I just know Josh, but it's actually good. So I have to admit, you know, it's actually a good podcast. I'll give him that. Um, the guests are amazing. Even uh, Josh and I have shared a guest uh, who's been on the show and has been on his show. So I think it's just overall great value. And I love seeing what you're doing. Just incredible growth automatically. So keep it up. And then all Slick Talk listeners, like I said, check out the show notes. JoshCopel.com will be in there. Flow, proven proper, and of course, full comp served just right. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast.